Okay, uh, for some reason it didn't show the name there for a second. Anyway, uh, here we are at the May 12th, 2016 Science Fiction Club meeting. And we are talking about a book that we all, or hopefully those of us who've read it before, certainly liked it a lot. And anybody who, anybody who hasn't, hopefully did. After the last book we read, it was a bit of a, uh, um, not quite so good. Um, we decided to read something we knew we'd like, and it's Waystation by Clifford D. Simak. So, we can go around the room and talk about why we liked it so much. So, whoever wants to start? Okay, I'll start. Um, I had read it before. I think Mary had recommended it, but, you know, for some reason I'd forgotten a lot of it, so I read uh, reread it, and I really, I really think it's worth you know all the all the um, praise that it gets because I, th- I think it's a very a very lovely book in a way. It's you know I find it has lyrical qualities to it. Strangely enough, the idea of of, of Enoch you know in a pastoral type atmosphere in the countryside and you know going back all, all the way to the Civil War and and, and just describing. How he interacts with, with basically the country, you know, with the, with the scenery, and of course, how his neighbors consider him to be a you know a hermit, and even you know it's interesting how they describe the type of of um, people that live in that area. That's a sort of remote area, and and the idea of all, all the years going by, and then of course on the other hand you have this this strange environment of the station with all these strange aliens coming in. So I thought it was quite quite a good book. I enjoyed it very much. It was very easy to read. There was no wandering off on subplots and things like that. Well, I liked it for pretty much the same reasons. Um, you know, I really like, you know, most science fiction now seems to be doomsday, apocalypse kind of thing. I like something where everything went straight forward. I had a little trouble believing that the CIA wouldn't just kidnap a person if they were that interested. But, you know, nobody died horribly. Um, I liked the characters. I almost, you know, I was kind of wishing I could live in an environment like that. Um, but it, like I said, I just enjoyed it. Well, I admit and have said that this is one of my absolute favorite books in the whole world. And Marshall, I have many of the same thoughts as you about the book. I'd love to live in a station like that and meet aliens and and not get in, get into trouble with Earth, but. Uh, have the option of possibly leaving a station and going off and visiting planets and visiting cultures and and all that st- and living out in the country if I'm going to live on Earth I think it'd be so cool to live in a place like that. But um, the fun part of this meeting for me is going to be finding out what people can comment on and think about and the different angles that everybody has and in uh, what they thought of the book. Well, I I really enjoyed this, too. I'm not surprised that I liked it. I haven't read this before. I wasn't surprised that I liked it, because I really do like Clifford DeSimak anyway. 
Um, some of his other books are, are are very memorable, even though they're, you know, most of them are written like in what, the 50s, and I think this was written in 62, which is pretty old. Um, and, like, I was less, I was 10 years old in, 50, in 62, so that's <clears throat> kind of, I guess that's sort of when a lot of my taste in science fiction really kind of got formed. Um, I, lo- I thought it was very lyrical, too. That was really surprising to me, and yet when I think about it, that's one of the things that I like about his writing a lot of times. And uh, the characters were very won- were wonderfully done, and I thought that... Um, I thought that he drew the environment so beautifully and contrasted so well the sort of almost like, um, well, pure, pristine environment that he lived in and then going to his cabin that was the space station, which was just such a wonderful contrast. Um, and you could just sort of feel the warmth and stuff in the way that he connected both with the people from all over the galaxy and with the people that he liked from Earth. Well, of course I love the book. Um, Last time I read it, I read it in Braille. This time I read it with Audible, and the narrator was great. He did Enoch really well, and... um, it's so funny what you see, the second, third, fourth, whatever, because I think I've read this book a couple of times, um, a couple of few. And it's interesting what you see, because this time I read it, and I, Enoch, what I like about him, I think, is that he's firm, but you see his compassion, you see his humanity. And you see the way that, you know, he feels guilty for making some of the choices that he made, but yet he's like, well, I had to do what I had to do. And it was funny because um, I knew some of the parts that came up, but I had forgot what happened in some of the parts. Like that, that rat guy thing, I knew it was coming, but I th- I remembered it differently. And so when that part came up, I totally forgot that um, that the book ended the way it did. So I'm really, really, really glad, of course, that I reread it. It's a great book. Well, uh, this is the second time I've read it, and uh, so I didn't remember really well the details. Most of the details were missing. I just remembered having a good feeling about it, so I knew... I would enjoy it when I read it again, I, and I did quite a lot. Um, I was uh, slight, there were a couple times, I read it to Lissy, we read it in Braille, I got the Bard version and uh, downloaded the two volumes and read it on my Packmate, and uh, there were a couple times when I thought the writing was a bit purple, but overall, and that's very minor, um, I enjoyed the... I mean, he did a few things really well. First of all, it was really interesting. He imagined some of the alien artifacts and the the whole station experience and what it was like very well. But then, 
On the other hand, when he when he walked on his walks, he described the environment around, you know, all the flowers and the woods and the plants and, you know, the animals. And it was like, you know, it's like the way Tolkien described, you know, in many ways. Tolkien was really good at putting you where you were, you know, putting you in the place of the story by telling you what all was going on, what the wind felt like, what the what plants were around, what birds you could hear. And... Um, so, um, Simak was very good at that in this book, too. So, he, he did that very well. Uh, and, of course, the, the Ulysses was a great... Um, and I think, you know, the book was slightly in, in, in an older time. I think that Ulysses was probably... Des- um, I don't know if he was designed or if he was just... I mean, he was naturally a friendly guy, but he would have, that's why he got the job he did. It wasn't just a coincidence that he was so friendly and easy to get along with and so on, because that was his job was to, you know, to take care of these scouts or to recruit them and, and check on them. And, and, uh, but his, his love of coffee and his just, you know, his personality was just real likable and, and it didn't take away from any of that, but I was just thinking, you know, Enoch seemed to think that it was just a coincidence, but but I don't think it really was, or he wouldn't have gotten that job. But um, overall, you know, it was really good. We we enjoyed it immensely. And we, uh, though Lissy saw Lucy's plot coming, Lucy's the jewel, you know, coming, that was pretty easy to see. I saw it right um, away. And uh, but nevertheless, that was you know when it came, it was great. And so uh, that's the general summary. We're, we'll talk more about the details as we go along. But my turn, Lissy. Um, I think one my way of summing up the feeling of the book that is so pleasant to us is that it wasn't cynical, and it did. <coughs> That's a good point. I, I didn't think of putting it exactly that way, but that's a good point. Right. And another thing, uh, I think people in 2016 uh, almost expect cynical. They also expect barbed humor, where the humor has a mean edge, and that wasn't the case in this book. So I think, you know... I. I'm a little sad that that's the way literature is going. Also, the the amount of violence in the book minuscule. If it were <laughs> written now, oh no, it, it would have just a ton more violence. Oh in yeah, it. there'd be a huge showdown between the rat thing, and they'd be all over the you know, woods. And we would have heard every bloody detail. Yep, it, it would have been a long and bloody battle between them. So. Um, one of the things that I was a little sad about was that once these created characters, David and Mary, um, once they became aware, once he became aware that they were um, constructs and that they felt they couldn't come back and that they, as they began to feel human and restricted by their not re- their unreality, um, I think in in the current time, that would have been solved. But then it ruined everything for all of them, and that was terribly sad. And he really did love Mary because 
he didn't just grieve for her at the time that the shadow people stopped coming. To the very end of the book, he was concerned about her and felt guilty that he had caused her pain to fall in love with him, and now he didn't know how she was faring. Um, it was I, I notice a lot because I'm really into literature and writing, and I did notice that the author became tired at the end. You can tell. And he's, so he made some small mistakes near the end of the book, but that's just the nuts and bolts thing that the editor should have picked up. Um, he just was ready, you know, he, he saw the end of it, the author saw the end coming, and he couldn't wait to get there. So he just made some little small mistakes, more small mistakes at the end in the writing quality. It was a wonderful book. I loved it, too. Well, that your comments about modern books, I have just about given up the mystery book group because you can't get mysteries today, it seems, without having a lot of blood and guts and a bunch of stuff I don't want to hear about. I can turn on the TV and get that kind of stuff from the news. You know, this book had an optimistic thing that I don't think we have anymore. Um, the the book ended optimistically. Um, you know, none of the principal characters got killed. Uh, there was no profanity. Um, I actually spent my first. I went to a one room schoolhouse, so you know, I kind of had that environment when I was a little kid, and. You know, I don't really like the world I'm living in anymore. Um, just because of the negative attitudes and all this stuff. So I think that's another reason I enjoyed the book. I think one thing that caught my attention this time that really hadn't previously in all the times I've read this book was the qualities of the talisman. Man, that was so incredibly fascinating. And an innate sadness also about him because he was very lonely. His, he was sort of isolated from humanity by the fact that he wasn't getting old. The only, you know, human contact that he had basically was with the mailman and they had it, you know, but it was somewhat superficial. So the, the job, you know, was a responsibility, but it also, put him apart from the rest of humanity, the fact that, you know, all, all the people that he knew had died. I don't know how many people, I mean, a lot, some people, obviously, at the time of the war, during the war, because, really, you know, you really saw a lot of horror and a lot of, um, you know, devastation during the Civil War. But the fact that then he conjured up Mary and, 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 and David as a way of, of, of sort of solace, because the aliens, you know, they were nice and they were friendly and all that, but they still weren't the same as, as being fellow humans. So I felt the, the sadness. And, and at the end, I guess you could say that he decided that his mission was to continue to serve the galaxy. And at the same time, he had, he had been able to, you know, help save Earth from its own destruction. But, you know, the, that was a little unclear to me also, you know, about how uh, they were on the course of destroying themselves by the war. That 
to me wasn't well, perhaps that well drawn, but basically he was sort of a sad, lonely figure, and he, he really, and this, you know, elicited my compassion. I think part of the reason that the shadow people had to go was because real humans were coming into Enoch's life gradually, and he had to be available for them, and there really was no need to have shallow, shadow people around anymore because there, he was going to have conferences to go to and people to talk to and things to do that were outside the station, even though generally he was in the station most of the time. But his life was going to be full of real people in the real world. Um one of the characters I really liked in this book was the postman because he was on the he teetered on the edge of knowing that something um, unusual was going on behind the scenes with with this character but um, he he was a decent human being just being kind and not demanding. Like if you don't tell me, I'm gonna tell on you, and I'm stop, gonna stop bringing you what you need. And he, re- the postman, kind of reminded me of how I try to live, which is just being decent and kind. And what is kind of sad to me is that often people are really surprised by what I do. But I keep thinking, you know, the whole idea in the world is for there to be lots and lots of decent kind people and you want that you want that quality to spread and grow and flourish and this book encourages that kind of thing you know people getting to know each other and appreciate their differences and work together and look for solutions together and it's sad that our current books they they don't seem to encourage that just think of the hunger games where the point is to kill everybody off so you can get food for your, you know, how primitive that is and sad. Well, another thing that just occurred to me was that this is one of the last really great books of the old so-called wave before the new wave came in and then things changed so much in science fiction and things got a lot more, well, cynical and darker and less optimistic and more violent and you know, and this is, this is really the old, this is really one of the last of the so-called golden age of science fiction, which some people would call naive optimism and all that. But this is really one of the last of those of those books before things really start to turn, unfortunately. But I, I, kind, I, I kind of think that society needs optimism. They need optimistic things. You know, that was the the big thing about the original Star Trek series, that it was optimistic about the future. And I don't think society as a whole anymore is optimistic. I mean, you look at the, oh, some of the stuff that's on TV, um, The Walking Dead, um, and the, the programs that are, they certainly don't like maybe Duck Commander and some of the other reality shows. Um, they don't have any optimism in them. They just, you know, show. They don't show people at their best. 
And sometimes they show them at the worst. Um, and, you know, I, keep, I have real trouble finding a program I want to watch regularly because they all seem to be negative. Um, Uh, and I think I think it's a I think it's a flaw in our civilization. I think we need to start somehow being more optimistic about the future instead of being more negative. Well, it can become kind of its own self-fulfilling prophecy too. I mean, uh, so go ahead, sweetie. Um, one of the uh, one thing that should keep you hopeful, and I don't know if you've read this, Marshall, is you know we read The Martian, and that was refreshingly. Optimistic. It definitely had bad language, <laughs> but it was very optimistic. And the main character, even though he was marooned and might surely die, um, in his last words to his family, he said, I love this job. I'm doing what I... He was so exuberant and... Um, so I think we're not without hope completely. Well, and I think the fact that the movie did so well and it was still so faithful to the book is a sign of hope, really. Yeah, that's out on the Blind Mice Movie Vault. If anybody is a, a member of that, you can get that for free. Just go up there and grab it. And it's it's described and it's well done, certainly. I'll have to try and get that. Incidentally, speaking of iPods, again, there's a game for for that now on the iPhone, iPad universe, I think. What is it? It's called The Martian. It's a, I guess it's a role-playing game. When did David Brin's books come out, the Uplift series? That was the 80s. Uh, or early to, well, they've, they've been spread out over quite a while, but they started in the early... 80s. Yeah, I think the newer ones came out in the 90s, if I remember, although I don't know. when did, I didn't even look to see when the very last one in the series came out. I think that might even been in the 21st century for that one. I don't remember. Is he still alive? Oh, yes, he's still alive. He's giving talks and lectures. He's on the Insti- Inter... I'm sorry, Institute for Ethics and Emerging Technologies uh, board, I believe he is, and he's uh, he still puts out articles on the website, and he gives talks, and oh yeah, he's still, uh, uh, he wrote a science fiction book a few years ago called Existence, which I never quite finished, <laughs> um, I didn't think it was that good, but uh, still, he's, he's uh, I think he's working on something, or he's due to come out with something in the near future. Uh, I'll I'll look that up and mention it to the list if I find out anything. But he's definitely very much alive. Yeah, I remember trying to read Existence when I downloaded it from Audible. I thought it was not that good. <laughs> You're right, Evan. Well, I asked that because I, I um, after I finished Waystation, I remembered this Uplift series, and I really, I remember we read one of them. I can't remember. It was can't remember what it was, but anyway, we all liked it, and I thought, well, and I've been wanting to do it, so I finally downloaded the first, I finished the first book, and I'm on the second one now. Oh, what a series. I can tell I like it. Well, Sundiver was the first book, I think, but as far as I know, that's not on Bard, is it? I have a cassette copy here, uh, 
but I don't think I was looking for it to come out on Bard, but I don't did it. If I if it did, I missed it. No, it hasn't come out on Bard yet. I I think she's referring to the uplift, the ones that start with Heaven's Reach, or is that the name of the first book? It has Heaven in it, I believe. And that's actually the fourth one in the series that starts with Sundiver. There's a bunch of stuff before Heaven's... Is it Heaven's Reach? I could be wrong. No, actually, I read Sundiver on Bookshare as well as Audible. And then now I'm reading Star Tide Rising. And that's the... The Sundiver's the first book, isn't it? And then Star Tide Rising is the second. And then Uplift Wars the third. I haven't read that one yet, but I'm reading, reading Star Tide Rising. I can't talk. My tongue is getting tangled with my teeth. I can't believe I just said that. Yeah, that is the second book in the series, Star Tide Rising is. And they're all good, at least in my opinion. <laughs> but I like the fourth, fifth, and sixth ones the best, especially the fourth. I want to know where he got these names, Makakai and Tahihi and... <laughs> I love it. Dolphins in space. It's great. And Bubba Cub. Yeah, um, we did tar- Star Tide Rising, I think, at the club, wasn't it? I don't know. I wasn't here then, and probably some other folks weren't either, so don't know. Actually, yeah, Mary, you were here. Was it Star Tide Rising? Uh, if it was, I don't remember it. So I'm reading it again. <laughs> Although, no wonder I remembered that little boy's name. Maybe not, though. I don't know. I do know that if anybody chooses to read those books, um, I don't... Well, now, I'm only speaking from the first and the second books that I've, I'm reading. Um, they seem to me... To be sta- they can be standalone because the first book um, was basically it looks like how they how they started or whatever and the second one is a whole years and years into their future so you don't have to read the first book yeah um, I think it was Star Tide Rising where um, I, I I don't remember all the details of this, but I they had the chimpanzee geologist who put a bomb uh-huh. down in this well. Remember, the alien race was buried in the core of this planet, and it just, you know, this A-bomb just set them off, and, and they just... And he said, oh, it was just a teeny tiny A-bomb. And it was just, <laughs> I don't know, it wasn't funny, but it was, if you know what I mean. But anyway, it was a funny line, even though it was kind of tragic, because this race had been just distorted and abused by somebody and they were hiding in the core of the planet and and uh, that that a bomb just really was a very upsetting and but he had no clue but he, and he and he said it was just a little a bomb <laughs> anyway um, i wanted to mention a couple things one thing is how do you become a member of the blind mice organization and another thing is that i think a lot so, some of us can identify with Enoch because I think being blind does um, tend to isolate you more if you don't have a lot of sighted uh, friends or family around to keep you moving and shaking in the community. Um, it, it's harder to fight that feeling of isolation. And so instead of fighting it, like Evan and I are really content to stay here a lot and do our bookshare work and do all these projects we have going on together and and apart and um, I, I as I was reading it I was thinking 
Evanston, that living in a station like that wouldn't be that boring to Evan and Wouldn't I. bother me at all. Right. No, we'd, sure. ha- we'd find plenty to occupy ourselves. And don't tell the NFB that I said that, but I really mm-hmm. do think that being visually impaired can kind of set you apart and make it a little harder to always be involved in the community. Well, okay, to answer the, the one question, blindmicemegamall.com, it's a shopping site with stores that are um, operated by blind people, but as a side part of it, on the side they have the movie vault. So it's blind, it's all written together, lowercase, blindmicemegamall, dot, I believe it's dot com. And you can join um, online on that site. And I think that's probably all I should say about that because we're supposed to be talking about science fiction. Um, But there is um, a lot to think about with regard to isolation. I agree because I'm kind of in the same boat, except that I also have hearing loss. And that really messes things up because I can't easily go out and travel the way that I would like. There, I live on big intersections, eight-lane streaks with with islands right in the middle of them, and I can't cross them because I don't know where sound comes from. So I tend to identify with Enoch and his space station also. That's why I, I would dearly love to be some, part of something like that. And I just thought of another thing that I really liked. He had communications with the... Um, Galactic Center or Galactics, whatever the central control thing was, but there weren't any telephones. Um, I've got a real bee in my bonnet about getting unwanted phone calls from political organizations and guys who want to help me fix my computer and guys who want to sell me something that I don't need, uh, and there just is no way to stop them, and it would be so nice to go someplace where you didn't have telephones. Todd and I can definitely relate with the um, what you were saying, Lissy. Oh, definitely. And I know, because, man, I love to read. Now, I did notice the newer books are not as good as the older ones, but I love to read. I love to read. And so I could definitely deal with living in a station like that and meeting different aliens, different people, now, wouldn't it be cool if, and Mary, maybe you remember this. Remember in the first Uplift book, um, what do they call it, Conting Fagan, that, that leafy bro- thing that looked like broccoli? Wouldn't that be cool to meet him in, in one of those stations? I kind of, it's funny because that's what I kind of started doing is putting, putting, um, the quote-unquote ETs or extraterrestrials in the way station. And I think I'm mixing my two stories, which is kind of fun. Um, Marshall, to comment on your concern about, yes, I also have lots of, of crank calls. And if you use a home phone, there is a whole bunch of call blockers that you can get. I did a review of one for Main Menu that is just a great one to use, and I can send it to you off list if you like. Speaking of the hearing loss, I you tell Lissy I will not wear hats or earmuffs unless it's extremely cold, because when I go out, 
I mean, I have one sense completely missing. I'm not going to dull any of the others without a really, really good reason. So I won't even wear things over my ears unless it's severely cold out because I want to hear as much as possible and it's really important. So I really understand, you know, not being nervous or even anxious about traveling with, you know, less hearing than you normally would have or should have for, you know, without being, without seeing. Sweetie, go ahead. Um, Marshall, there are, I think Panasonic sells landline phones, you know, the cordless phones, and they have a model that has the ability to block 250 different callers. When you get a call that you don't like, you just press the button and whatever, wherever that originate is blocked. Yeah, it's built in. You just push the button and you don't and have I, to. And I was wondering if maybe <laughs> after you've done 150, 250, you can c- clear it off and start again. <laughs> oh, dear. You probably could. I've, my call blocker, you can, you can clear, uh, you can capture a thousand numbers and then you can add another call blocker on, uh, chained on to the end of it. So you can have another thousand <laughs> of them. But, oh, they're such a nuisance, and I wish Congress or somebody would get rid of the these guys and make it illegal to to have to deal with. I mean, they're just a nuisance. That's all there is to it. Well, I what I do is I forward the calls to my iPhone and then put on Do Not Disturb, and the iPhone won't ring at all. Um and you can set it up so you can set up favorites for people that you want to talk to. Um, the only problem is that CenturyLink insists on having the phone line ring once. Um, and, you know, obviously the technology's evolved. I'm aware of a couple of code blockers, but when I start getting into those, um, the issue is, you know, extensions and accessibility of the call blocker. The one that I've got <clears throat> works with a cordless phone, and if you have the modern type cordless phones, then it will work with all the cordless phones that you're using. Um, it won't work with landline phones that are not cordless unless you have a call blocker completely hooked up to that uh, independent phone. But it's to me, it's just been a, a lifesaver. It's wonderful to have a call blocker. Uh, we should probably start talking about our next book since it's uh, uh, nine minutes till the hour, I think, or something like that. Um, but we should probably do that before people need to leave. If anybody has any suggestions. I want to ask a um, question. I think Mary mentioned she compared another book, a classic, I don't know what you could consider to be a classic, to Waystation. I think it was something called Tunnel in the Sky. Am I correct on that, Mary? And if so, would that be a possible, you know, a book that we might want to, those of us who haven't read it, would we want to do that? Um, that one is a book for teenagers, and it's written by Heinlein. So I don't know. I don't know if we read that type of books, uh, young adult books. Um, 
I suspect that, you know, because there are people here who don't like Heinlein, and I don't like his adult books very much. <laughs> so, don't know. Not sure that that would, would qualify. We have read an adult, a, a YA book here and there, and actually I, I there's one I want to read again that's on my favorites list. It's a YA book uh, that I'd like to read in the not-too-distant future. Um, but, um, so, yeah, we'll... Um, we have done it, and we'll do it again, I'm sure. And I want to say, just because someone doesn't like Heinlein, if this is one that people in the group recommend, I don't think, I think that'd be cool to read a Heinlein that people might like. And, you know, I don't want to ban any authors. Well, well I, I'm I don't not, like L. Ron Hubbard. I'm but not, if the group chose to read him, I'd go along with it, I guess. I'm not that fond of Heinlein either, but... Um, I, when I read the review of Have Spacesuit Will Travel in David, David Pringle's book, I thought it sounded like something I would mind giving a try. Uh, so I'm, I'm up for reading one or another of his young adult books at some point. We can ha- you know, or, uh, talk about that. Uh, and as I said, I have a, a young adult book that's on my favorites list that I want to read, reread. I haven't read it for 40 years or something. But anyway, um, does anyone have any other ideas? This is not anything new, but um, if I were to pick between Tunnel in the Sky and Have Space Suit, I would pick Have Space Suit. I just reread that not too very long ago, within the last year, and I thought it was surprisingly good. Yeah, I read that too. I have had that one for, for quite a while. Um I was going to think of say something else. I can't think now what it was. Didn't we all read Half a Space Suit or no? No, we haven't read that. Oh, I know. I was going to say, Evan, what was the book that you were thinking about? It was The White Mountains by John Christopher. Oh, I've wanted to read that so bad. I don't know if it's even on Bard yet. Maybe, is it? I keep thinking uh, that some of his other books are, but I don't remember seeing The White Mountains. Is it on there? Oh, man, now you've caught me. I don't know. I have I have a publisher-quality book from Bookshare that actually has a preface by the author written as a 30-year anniversary edition. Uh, and I know that uh, the original version that I read from NLS is never going to get on Bard. It was read by Andy Chappelle, and it's on old TBs, and I know that's not going to go up on Bard. But the whole series was re-narrated later on, and if those aren't on Bard, they should be at some point. I thought at least one or two of them was. There are actually four in the series, but one of them was written later. It's a prequel. And the first one I read was The White Mountains, and it's, and it's on my favorites list. But uh, now I really don't know whether it's on Bard or not. I would read White Mountain or the Heinlein books. Now, I have a on my wish list, I picked up a few books that Mary was um, highlighting over a period of months that came recently came on board. And I know a friend of mine, Maria Campbell, who doesn't come to our meetings but does read a lot of the recommendations, recommended a couple of them. So I have about five or six different books uh, on Notepad here if anyone's interested in me going over their titles. I just wanted to mention we kind of have a short time to read this month because the next meeting is going to be on the 8th of June. No, it'll be on the 10th. Are you sure? Today's May 12th, right? Oh, yeah, you're right. It's going to be on the 9th of June. My apology. Uh, well, that's still, that's usual. That's most of our ones are four weeks. So, 
Um, now, five weeks is coming up in July, from um, June 9th to July 14th, but um, this week, this this month is our usual four weeks. In fact, the White Mountain is available. I'm very game for that, too. Um, I don't really have a preference of it for anything particular that we've mentioned so far, and I can't think of anything to suggest. Yeah, I know it's on Bookshare because I'm pretty sure I downloaded it. Hold on a sec. I'll go look real quick. What is it called and who is it by? It's called The White Mountains by John Christopher. Um, and for those who don't know what it's about, probably, and I don't want to give too much away because you don't really know that much at the beginning. Um, all you know are they're, they're teenage boys who... When they get to a certain age, they get a cap on their heads, which controls them and makes them docile. And the 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 alien tripods roam the land and and keep people under. But we don't know, you know, what they are. And of course, there are all these ruins around. This takes place in England. It's a um, and in Europe. Uh, and these group of people, these couple teenagers, travel to this place where there's a group of men who are resistant to the tripods and they try to get an organization together and they recruit people just before they reach capping age to get them to come and join the resistance. And so the first book, The White Mountains, is about one of the people who gets recruited and his cousin comes with him and they travel across Europe and you see Paris you know in ruins and it just made a huge impact on me when I was like 12 years old because it looks at our civilization the way future primitives would look at it as a kind of a fantastical thing which is kind of hard to see from the inside but when you see it from the outside you see how really you know fantastical it is but anyway, uh, that's basically what it's about. I'm on Bard right now. I'm checking. It's there. It's only four minutes. Does that sound what it would be? I have, you said Christopher John or John Christopher? How long? Four hours and ten minutes. Yeah, it was on four records on 16 RPM. It was on eight sides, so I guess that kind of works out. Uh, sounds about right. I'll go for the White Mountains. It was written in 1967 or 68, and it's uh, it's another one. Well, it's you don't see the optimism really because it's the first of a a series, and I don't. I'm not giving things away, but um, but you, it's another one that there's not a lot of violence in it. It's not very long. It's uh, for a young adult book. It has a surprisingly high vocabulary. It's remember those Amy books we read. Uh, on the ship, you know, it was, uh, it, it's definitely, you know, um, I actually learned some vocabulary from it when I was 12. Um, when you were 12? When I was 12, yeah, I learned some vocabulary. And I, I was a good vocabulary student when I was 12, and I still picked up a few words. Um, so, uh, it's, it's, and it's not very long, and it's not violent. It's, it's a really good book, I think. Well, I have a suggestion, and Evan can tell me if this is correct. But apparently they get more optimistic as they go along. So since it's so short, we could maybe agree that if we finish book one, we could go on to the next in the series and have some experience of more optimism. Would that be right? Yeah. It Well, what's the... Um, do we know what the next book in the series is called? So I can see if it's on Bard real quick. Unless, Mary, you're there? 
Are, are you there, I meant to say? I'm there. I'd have to read the description to see what is the next book in the series, but, I mean, we can all do that. Um, there's one called City of Gold or Something of Gold, and then there's uh, Guardians, which I think is probably a standalone, and there's, there's like, you know, a bunch of these, five or six. Yeah, the sequel is The City of Gold and Lead. Uh, and they, they mount an expedition to go inside one of the cities. And gold is, uh, well, lead is a gravity and gold is, uh, well, uh, but uh, that's, that's the second book. Uh, they, they, you actually get inside the cities and see what the aliens, how they live and what they look like. That one is five hours, 15 minutes, so maybe the first two would be fine, because that would add up to about nine or ten hours. I vote for that. This will be the first time we've done this, though. Uh, are, are people okay with reading two books in one meeting? Well, maybe it's okay meeting. if they just read one if they don't like it. Because um, so, I'm not sure what to put in the newswire if we do it that way. Well, I don't know that it would be any problem. I mean, they're both on BARD. Of course, if people really want to, they can go on in the third and the fourth. Well, in the newswire, you could say, we voted, and because book one is so short, we decided to add two books to be unique. All right, sounds good to me. All right, I will stop the recording, uh, unless anyone has, do do I hear any objections? Do we have a number for it? Yep, I'll tell you, just a minute. There's two book numbers. Do you want me to give the first one for the first one and you for the second? Or do you want to do both, Mary? I have the first. I don't have the second, though. The second one is 27307. That's a DB. Okay, that's 27307. That's the second book, The City of Gold and Lead. And the first one is The White Mountains. And the number for that, Leela, is... Actually, I'll do it. It's 26091. Because I happen to be on it. 26091. Okay, since they're short, we're going to read two books this month by John Christopher. The first two books in the Tripods series. The White Mountains and The City of Golden Lead. And our next meeting is on Thursday, June the 9th, 2016. And have a good month.